Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. Welcome back to the 34 Circe Salon. In part two of our Alpha Babes episode with Pamela J. Smith, Don Sam Alden and I, Sean Marlon Newcomb, discuss the current status of women in film and media and the images that are portrayed of them. Listen in. The Alpha Babe fits that. Where does that work in terms of modern sort of storytelling and movie making? Do you see that? You know, you're saying over the last 30 years has been a development and a change. Do you see that? How do you see that playing out in, the, in what you see in media and entertainment today? Okay. What I see playing out is that I, I think where we've, where we've made excellent progress is to be a, um, a female lead other than the put-upon wife, mother, girlfriend, the long-suffering, etc. Yeah. The, the opposite of that was the kick-ass chick. Right. And that was great. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we needed it to break out of the old um, restrictive structure of feminine roles. But what's really great now is to see that, yeah, that's fine, but there's also all these other ways that women can be, whether it's, you know, in the scandal of uh, mm-hmm. the TV series or mm-hmm. uh, Madam Secretary, the TV series. And just looking at the world in general, you know, you had those early female leaders, oh boy, not discounting England's hundreds of years of female rulers. They have an amazing history, actually. I think that, I think people often overlook that. I mean, obviously America has its roots, its history in terms of its um, political culture, certainly, and, and also social culture in England we forget just how much of a role model that the British have had in really strong female rulers. And I think it actually makes a difference to how women in culture are perceived when people in culture can see that a woman can lead. We haven't quite done that in America yet, but, you know, we're making progress. Well, we are. And I think you you raise a good point there, Sean, and I would ask both of you, how much do you think that is affected by the fact that the founders of America were basically religious groups that were kicked out of England and other parts of Western Europe and that were uh, strict patriarchies, religious patriarchies from, you know, Calvinism and uh, not so much the Quakers because that's a, a kinder, gentler religion. Yes. Yeah. I think one of the things to keep in mind when we look at England as a country who for millennia has had female leaders from Boudicca, Bodicea, however you choose to pronounce it, through mm-hmm. Elizabeth uh, I, through Queen Victoria, through the current Queen Elizabeth, 
they're used to female leaders. The founders of America were basically patriarchal, strict religious groups. And so they brought a different mindset. And yes. I think we've been having to deal with that. Absolutely. Andrews found it. Yeah, I grew up in New England, and I am actually a direct descendant from the John Alden that came over on the Mayflower. So, wow. Um, yeah, so we used to go to Plymouth Plantation on the regular and, uh, and get them to, you know, make much of my father, you know, with his Alden last name and all that sort of thing. But, uh, but it, it absolutely was true that those sort of Puritan ethics are still very entrenched in the foundation of our society. Um, I think you mentioned the Quakers as, you know, potentially a, uh, a kindler, gentler version of it. But one of the things that, that I always noticed having a German mother who, um, the Germans are uptight about a lot of things, but, but sex and the human body are not one of them. So I, I always felt this tension in my parents between my dad and his very sort of puritanical, um, unstated but still quite clear viewpoints on um, sex and intimacy. And my mom's much more sort of down-to-earth, casual um, almost, I want to say natural, I don't know if that's the way to, the best way to describe it. But, you know, I mean, you know, naked bodies are naked bodies. And, uh, and you see that very much reflected in the kinds of things that we allow to be on our television sets and in our movies, how we are much more squeamish about showing any kind of intimacy, even if it's a positive, loving, wonderful experience between two people who are enthusiastically consenting to sex, um, as opposed to, you know, how many bodies we're willing to see riddled with bullets in, in full surround sound color gruesomeness. You know, we, we are much more willing to, to let the latter pass than we are the former. It's, it's interesting because in saying that, it's also, I think, interesting to note that I think England currently is and has been less squeamish about it as well. So it's like we were, this, the shoot that was cut off and we was replanted on North American soil and grew up in a specific way. We, you know, it's sort of like you, you have a kind of a plant and there, there is this one version of it that is maybe more flowering or more colorful and you you plant that so you can develop a new variety of it it's like we were planted and a new variety developed of a strain that wasn't quite as patriarchal in mindset at least as we are but i think there's actually another interesting thing that i've looked at and a friend of mine has looked at as well with respect to america's founding and its patriarchal sort of mindset and women as leaders is that it may not be direct, but because the founding fathers were modeling our government on Rome and the Roman system and the way Rome did things, and Rome is as patriar was as patriarchal as patriarchal gets, 
you know, there are no really great Roman empresses. It's a Roman, these are emperors. And so there is something to the sensibility of our founding fathers and its Roman connections. And I love well, ancient Rome. I, I, luckily, I think there was some influence from the Native Americans. I mean, specifically the Iroquois had a bit of an influence on uh, the founding of our government. And I do remember if you read the letters between John Adams and Jane Adams, um, Jane Adams was quite vocal in telling her husband, you know, as you are shaping this country, remember the ladies, John. Um, yeah. Now he, I don't think he quite did so, but um, yeah. but uh, but there was, I mean, there were were other currents around. It's just that our country has, I I believe, as it's gone on, continued to emphasize the more patriarchal currents. And I do want to point out something that uh, people always sort of misstate when they talk about the beginning of this country is that, you know, these, these, these uh, religious refugees that came over to, um, to the new world to practice their religion, they were not looking for a land that had freedom of religion. They were looking for a land where they could practice their religion as the only religion. So it was founded by a lot of people who had very specific and narrow-minded ideas about how the world should be seen. And it's, it is interesting in that sense. I mean, there were all these different currents. There was a predominance, though, of, of particular mindsets and particular historical viewpoints. So we get, I mean, while you had, you know, obviously people who even from a religious standpoint were, were open and accepting you, what seemed to predominate was the kind of the notion of this kind of religious separatism and extremism in certain cases, not in all cases. We are a land of liberty and freedom of practice and religion, which mm -hmm. is to our credit. Um, but there also is just a structural mindset. And there's something about the political structural mindset that seems to make it difficult for outsiders. And in this case, we're talking specifically about women, but it also refers to people of color and people of different backgrounds. It's harder for them to break through the system. Not impossible. And we obviously are seeing the change right now. But swinging but that back. Change, to that change didn't come by itself. It came from right. a lot of pushing. No, that's what I mean. I yeah. mean, it's the yeah. structure is one thing. We are there. I, I always want to make sure that, you know, I love I always say I very deeply love this country. We do have to point out where the structural and foundational flaws are. But I want to also make it clear that I'm not bashing something I love, but I am pointing out, like you say, it takes a lot of work and we're kind of getting there. And But I think particularly still, even politically, even with the current announcement of vice president, we still have a long way to go in terms of women in office. You know, oh, so yes. It's a long way to go. Oh, yes. And yeah. So anyway, swinging back to the, the alpha babes, mindset and these you know, this kind of establishment that you were saying in terms of England, the US, United States, and this this way we have this model of looking at female leadership. Do you think, Pamela, that you know somehow what we're starting to portray in film and media, the myths that we're starting to create are do you think they're helping shape a newer mindset, a more open mindset about women's involvement? Absolutely. In Absolutely. And what was the last part of your question, please? I was just saying women's involvement in our culture. I meant to say it was women's involvement in leading 
aspects of our culture and politics and in business and society are people accepting and being more comfortable with and Don, I'll throw that to you as well. Do you think we're in an accepting moment in terms of the way people are looking at things in relation to what we're seeing on t- versus or in relation to what we're seeing on TV and movies? Mm. Pamela, I'll let you go first. Okay. Uh, interesting question and a couple of observations. Yes, I think it's it's wonderful progress that has been made. And I'm really, really encouraged by it. And what encourages me the most is how many men are supportive of women moving into positions of influence and power. And I personally have been very fortunate in my career as a filmmaker and working in production, etc., that for the most part, I have worked with uh, men and women who were very egalitarian and uh, were open to, gosh, if you can do the job, you've got the job. And we're not making any particular distinctions. Now, you always come across a few toads, let's say, um, <laughs> who don't. But for the most part, I have seen that uh, in the media industry, and I'm talking more about production than in the, um, the higher executive vice president suites, but in production itself, if you can do the job, you are valued and you work again. And it doesn't seem to matter much. In fact, oh, you may want to edit this out, but uh, some friends of mine who are still together after 35 years, we were talking the other day and said, well, now, how about, what was the, how did you guys meet? What? And he said, well, we were on a film shoot and she's an art director, production designer. And he said, she walked onto the set, she had a six pack and a tool belt, and I fell in love immediately. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with that? Why would I edit that out? Seriously, what is wrong with that? And there's absolutely nothing. Yeah. That's... Absolutely nothing is wrong with that. In fact, we're going to highlight that. I'm going to make it a commercial spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's wonderful. so many wonderful men who support women in positions of uh, creative decision-making and positions of power. And I think part of the problem is the, uh, the guys who don't tend to get a lot of press and tend to have uh, their hands around the choke points of the flow of power too often. And yes, I think that's an that's an excellent point. Yeah, yeah. But there's a, the the gatekeepers. Yeah. Why, um, why do we think that is? Why is it that it seems like the gatekeepers, those choke points, are bounded by these guys? What about our culture or structure or history? Is that something that will just fade away? Oh wow! Happens? Do you have like uh, a couple of weeks for us to uh, you know to talk let's, about that? Let's I mean, do it, man. Throw it <laughs> out of the a, That is a that is a question that is much too large to answer in in even just uh, our entire podcast series, much less this podcast by itself. <laughs> we'll do a whole new series on just that. On just point. that question, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it has to do with money, of course, you know, 
typical mm-hmm. power structures, more um, there are more male investors than female investors. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to invest a couple million dollars in something, um, you're you're going to have to be personally tickled by it. Um, it's going to have to speak to you personally. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the people who are who have the ability and power to green light things uh, tend to want to see stories about themselves. And that has traditionally been uh, white men. Mm-hmm. So we've seen an awful lot of coming of age stories or, you know, uh, historical retrospectives that focus on white men and their journeys, their stories, their, you know, all of that sort of thing. What's, um, what's interesting on that, just to jump in on that notion, because it's something I've been thinking a lot about recently, is it's not just in talking about white men in terms of stories, but I think what's happening now is for everyone, I'm a little bit disturbed by what I consider a sort of determinism, an ethic determinism that you can only tell stories about those who look like you. The problem I have with that is, one, I think it disrupts our sense of humanity, that we should be able to be thinking of all sorts of different kinds of people when we tell stories. And second, so much of our great literature is created by people about different kinds of people. So to your point, I agree that that has been the case, that men in power have just wanted to tell stories about men like them. And and what is the first... Sorry, go ahead. No, I just would like the idea that we should open up ourselves to enjoying the stories. That's why I think myth is so wonderful. You I, can think, really I think, I um, think, yeah, curiosity is so important. So yes. important. Like, you know, you should, the attraction to stories about people not like you, um, you know, is, is curiosity. Mm-hmm. How, how does this person who is not like me live, think, grow, love all of the above? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but what is the first advice that writers get? Write what you know. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, a, that's a, an old saw in the industry. Write what you know. So, you know, if all of the writers who are being funded are white men who are writing what they know, then all of our stories are about white men. Yeah, and um, obviously you want which is hopefully developing a greater variety of kinds of people telling stories. I'd also invite the, I would much rather have, Oh, sorry. I would much rather have authentic voices telling their own stories than the same group of people trying to tell diverse stories about other people that they do not have firsthand experience of. I would agree with you. I would split the difference just a little slightly, just in the sense of, I I like that. Yes, we of course want authentic stories from people. I would like to invite people to very early on look at lots of different kinds of stories. I just think, I mean, I'm coming from this as a writer and as someone Mm -hmm. who cares about things that have nothing to do with me all the time. It's just, it's just sort of like, I see the connection in humanity. I see the connection in where, who we are. And so, I don't even necessarily look at a story about something from some other part of the world as the other. I just think that's another human being. Hmm, what's that person going through? So it, I think it's possible. I think it's important, like you say, to make sure we have that variety of people who get opportunity because then you're more likely to get authentic stories about different kinds of people. And I think it also would be really lovely if we could 
embrace the idea that we are a lot more similar than we are different and we can tell stories about each of us in a way that will still be beautiful and expressive and that's what i think again coming back to our mythology that's what makes mythology so wonderful it's not just that when i look at tales from the norse and tales from the egyptians and see a commonality there and tales from the egyptians and tales from the iroquois and see commonality you know then i think wow we are just one being we're one family so there's my you know my soapbox speech for the day we are the world indeed (laughs) yes Um, well i am i i hate to contradict our esteemed and honored guest but um I my response to your question, Sean, is mm-hmm. um, that no, I don't see a lot of change in our industry. I see a lot of lip service being done to change. I see a few select people going on record with specific initiatives to open doors for. Uh, women and people of color and LGBTQ and disabled people. But I don't really see the industry changing. And, um, and I think that if we want this veneer of change to deepen to real change, that that this needs to be incentive to push harder for change and to insist upon not just, I'll give you a specific example. One of the things that a lot of, um, that several studios have done is to introduce shadowing programs for women. So in order to give women opportunities, quote unquote, they will allow a woman director to shadow a male director as the male director works on a project. But at the end of this quote unquote opportunity, uh, unpaid by the way, um, at the end of this opportunity, the woman director is not guaranteed anything. So she may go through this experience and watch a male director work. And often if it's a woman who has already directed her own projects, you know, see the exact same thing that she does um, and then, you know, have donated her time and gotten no remuneration for it. And then at the end, she is no better off than she was at the beginning. She doesn't, she isn't guaranteed a project at the end of that time. She just had the opportunity to hopefully potentially make some connections. But if those connections don't offer her a job, are not are not expected to offer her a job at the end of this opportunity, then again, she's no better off than she was before. Real change would be saying, here's a woman director. She can have a, you know, we're going to give her a three picture deal. And if we still are unsure of her capacity to do her job, the first, the first picture of this three picture deal She'll have a mentor of an experienced director that the studio will choose. But then she gets to direct the next two pictures completely on her own. That's mm-hmm. real change. I, 
would agree. And I think it's interesting that they are giving women the chance to be in men's shadows. What a change. <laughs> I know. What an honor. What an incredible honor. That's, Even the language of it, right? Shadowing. Yeah. And I still, you know, I still, as a, as a actor combatant, as a, as a stage combatant and a stunt director and a stunt fighter, um, I still have yet to see myself on screen. Mm-hmm. Say more. What do you mean by that yourself? I am a woman of a certain age. I'm middle-aged. I uh, have a middle-aged woman's body. You know, I'm not a skinny mini. Mm-hmm. Um, I am curvaceous. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can kick major ass. <laughs> but I have never seen a character that looks like me on television kicking major ass. Well, no, no. I have never seen a character that looks like me on television. Well, we are trying to change that, as you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, for the listener, that means that we are here on this little 34 Cersei journey that is exactly incredible. and and babes with blades you know and and vicarious films my production company but exactly. um but yeah i i have yet to see myself on television so uh and you know i'm white so i even have that advantage in terms of you know the majority of people on television that i see have my skin tone but uh yeah i have yet to see myself on television so we still have a long way to go in this industry is my, my particular um, viewpoint and opinion on the matter. Let, let's dig into this just a little bit more. And I'm going to turn to you as well, Pamela, because I, I have my opinion on that as well, uh, what Dawn has uh, been saying. And it's somewhat similar to Dawn's in the sense of that I think, I always call it patriarchal Aikido. I, it's, I find that what's done in the industry now in the name of diversity is really done to diversify everything around the centerpiece of the great Superman hero. Now, that character is essentially unchanged since the dawn of filmmaking. So it's about changing the consort and the sidekick more than it is about changing the centerpiece. So anyway, not to go in this radical direction but what can we see in terms of myth as a guideline would you think pamela that would be great in terms of some great mythological stories with these kind of alpha babe women what would be your favorite pantheons or stories or goddesses that would maybe people can say you know what there's a story i could use to tell something for a female hero either that story itself or a story based on that Okay. Um, I would like to also uh, toss in something that you all were talking about earlier, and maybe you'll not use it or you can edit it in, but when you all were talking about the system and um, the patriarchy holding on, what Mm -hmm. comes to me is physics. I I study metaphysics. I also like physics. And... (laughs) How I would explain a lot of what happens with the intransigence and the entrenchment is uh, Newton's three laws. Mm -hmm. And the first law is a a body at rest tends to stay at rest. A body in motion tends to stay in motion. Inertia governs relationships as well as physical objects. 
Right, right. And the mm. second law is F equals MA, which is force is equal to mass times acceleration. So what is the size of the resistance and how fast is it moving? Right. And that's right. a factor of the force that can cause change. And I think we saw a lot of that with, um, you know, Oscar's So White. Right. And, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the women in film movement, et cetera. And then the third We've lost part, you there, Pamela. I don't... Yeah. Pamela, could you repeat that? We totally lost you for a second. Oh, Okay. Um, after second, after Oscar's so white, you you were starting to say something. Oh, okay. So it's a question of the um, the amount of people and the uh, actions that they are employing will become a force for change. Right. And we're seeing that right. with a lot of the peaceful, for the most part, protests that are going on these days all around the world, as well as you know the dark side of that. But also, I think to keep in mind the third law, which we always have to factor in anytime we are trying to change anything, and that is that for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. Right. So if you start trying to change things, the status quo will try to stop you and to hold on. And to, yeah, to fight back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, another law of physics or rule of physics that, um, that I think is apropos to this situation as well is that of critical mass, that every chemical reaction will reach a point at which it can no longer be stopped. You can't, uh, go back to, what it was before. You can't restore the components that you started with. And once that reaction reaches that critical mass, then it will continue to grow and it will continue to the end of the reaction. So we are still awaiting in our industry um, that moment of critical mass where the amount of of women directors, of, of directors of color or crew members in general uh, of color or LGBTQ representation or um, uh, disability representation, all of that has not yet reached its critical mass point yet. So at any point we could start to backslide. Oh, I think that's a really good point, Donna. I even wrote it down here. I think critical mass has to be in, you bet. And yeah. uh, also to your point, I think it is good for me to clarify that um, most of my work as a director and producer was not in the studio systems. It was outside. Oh. It was in commercials. Right. And mm-hmm. it was in yeah. uh, documentaries and corporate and military projects. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I had no problem being a female producer or director, just not a problem, but it wasn't within the studio system. So your, your point is well taken. The system is still seemingly pretty well entrenched, giving ground begrudgingly perhaps, but uh, yeah, where's that critical mass? Yeah. And then um, it's been interesting to, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was. you go ahead and then we'll address your question. I was just saying it's interesting to watch as we've been in quarantine. Um, 
stuff on Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. There's an abundance of stuff, and it's just getting a feel and a sense for the tropes and sensibilities that have been developing in Hollywood over the past two to four years, because that's kind of what we're seeing in terms of the pipeline of new stuff. So that critical mass you're talking about, Dawn, is, is something which will be interesting for me to hopefully see on these platforms in the future as more and more stuff gets created. Will we start to see this massive change? Because I really don't see it. I don't see it just yet, which we all we all agree on. There's still a lot to be done. Right. But it's interesting yeah. that we now have this this you know, a peephole into that world because it's all being funneled through this portal in our television set. So. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, a window to the world. Up next, part three. Pamela J. Smith will tell us how she uses the Alpha Babes process to help creativity. Please join us. <laughs> 